In the early 90s, the sports drink company Gatorade created Be Like Mike, a, telev a television advertisement starring NBA player Michael Jordan. It featured various children and adults playing basketball with Jordan set to a song with lyrics about wishing one could be like the basketball player. Uh, the first Gatorade commercial to feature Jordan almost didn't happen, according to Gary Hamilton of the Associated Press. The concept for Be Like Mike was inspired by the song, I Wanna Be Like You from the Disney film, The Jungle Book. But they couldn't secure the rights to use it. Instead, they, they wrote a song that had a somewhat similar sound and feel, and it was broadcast in 1991, and the commercial was a huge hit. In consequent years, the advertisement has been called one of the most successful and best sports commercials ever. The song went, Sometimes I Dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream, I move, I dream, I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike. It was a catchy tune for sure. Maybe you remember it. And it's true too. In the 90s, everyone wanted to be like Mike. He was a superhero on the court. And it wasn't just Gatorade that, that cashed in on Jordan's popularity. Nike was there at the perfect time and they had a brilliant shoe designer that produced some of the most popular sneakers of all time. Every kid wanted them, begged their parents for them. I was one of those children. I remember my dad being in a particularly good mood when we were on vacation. And I remember convincing him that I needed a pair of these shoes. And if I remember correctly, I think the, the next generation had come out and so the generation before was on sale. We were at the mall and I said, Dad, I think I need these. And in a moment of weakness, he said, okay. And I remember talking to the sales attendant and, and the salesman going back in the back room thinking, it's happening. It's really happening. I can't believe it's going to happen. And then the salesperson returns, sorry, bud, I don't have your size all sold out but I'm over it. I'm not still talking about it 30 years later. Sure, I could have saved up some money on my own, but there's just so many things that catch your eye to buy. The fact that many of us never had them is why I think they're so popular with people my age. Now, people my age may wear them when they have this nostalgia around it. I had these when I was a kid, or there's people like me who, who didn't have them, and so they've always wanted them. And we've, we've kind of thrown off what a dad is supposed to do, gentlemen who wear them. We should be taking up the mantle of white crew socks, jean shorts, and white dad shoes. But no, we're wearing Jordans, and I have to admit that I have a pair and I treat them like a newborn child. 
Now I know that people my age aren't fooling anybody. They don't think we're playing competitive basketball. They know the instability of our joints. They know our bones are too brittle now for brisk movements. But yet we wear them and we exhibit them proudly. I did have a moment recently in my closet. I was, I was <laughs> cleaning off scuffs and putting in a cedar shoe tree into my Jordans that I thought the shoe designer decades ago never intended for this to happen. And yet here we are. You know, back in the day, everybody did want to be like Mike. Everyone in the arena wanted to be able to do what he could do. Why? Because he was the star. Kids everywhere would emulate him in their driveways. It was game seven. They had the chance to hit the winning shot. Three, two, one. Jordan's fadeaway jumper would ensue to win the game. We wanted to jump from the free throw line, stick out our tongue and dunk it so we would lower the goal to make that possible. It didn't matter that we really couldn't touch the net. We were in our own world. That guy was important. All eyes were on him. He was significant. He was special. You know, there were zero people in the arena dreaming of being the person that refills the water coolers. No kid was standing in the middle of his kitchen with a broom thinking, oh, if I could be that guy in halftime with the dust mop <laughs> someday. No, that, that didn't happen. And you know, it's true of all sports, not just basketball. Think about baseball. Few kids are daydreaming about being an umpire and play stops. He motions for the guys in cool uniforms with their name on the back to step aside as the umpire steps forward in his pressed gray dress slacks. He awkwardly straddles home plate. He pulls out what looks to be a small partial paintbrush and he dusts off the base in swift deliberate strokes and the crowd goes impatient. Can you imagine someone out on the golf course daydreaming about being a caddy? Welcome, friends. It's Sunday at the Masters. We're on hole 18, and all eyes are on the caddy, who seems to be wearing some sort of painting attire. He dramatically reaches into the bag to retrieve what looks to be a pitching wedge. He gracefully takes a towel. He cleans the grip and then the club face. He hands it to the player who's about to make 10 times more than him. Doesn't happen. People don't imagine while driving their car, they clear the ice on this final game for the Stanley Cup. Now he slowly but majestically enters the rink on the Zamboni. Look at him, folks, as he glides across the ice like a swan on a pond. He's making the surface smooth and safe for the players to compete on. What a hockey hero. We just don't do that, do we? We don't dream about humble servitude, do we? Humor me for a moment. 
Picture yourself on a beautiful beach. Calm waves lap onto white sands. The warm sun is just the right temperature. There's a tray with complimentary cold drinks just waiting to be served as the breeze blows through tall, swaying palms, sending the smell of nearby flowers your way. There's a large umbrella with a comfy lounge chair situated just off the shore. Birds call off in the distance as they descend over the glassy water in this picture-perfect day. Did you picture yourself there? Let me ask you a question. In your mind, did you pick up that tray or were you sitting in that lounge chair? Let's be honest, you're all piled up in that lounge chair, aren't you? We don't automatically go to the service jobs, the the menial tasks. We aren't often looking to serve, but to be served. Rarely are we aiming to be a humble servant. And, And that's not a problem if you're aiming to be like Jordan. But it is a problem if you're aiming to be like Jesus. If we want to be like Christ, then we must serve in humility like him. The trouble is our flesh wants to serve itself. And the world tells us, go on. You're your own king. Go build your kingdom as big as you can and you go be served. It's okay, but as believers, we know there's only one true king and we are his faithful servants. And unlike in our economy, in God's economy, the servants are the ones who are significant. See, living like Jesus is not our natural bend Well, sure, we all know people who may be willing to serve more than others, but our default setting is a preference to be served rather than serve. In fact, I would contend that a life focused on humbly serving God and others is not an accident, but rather an intentional, willful, daily decision only successfully carried out through the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to talk to you about three marks of Christ-like humility. I hope that you'll give your full focus to God's word this morning. I believe it has the power to transform your life. Will you look with me in that passage that's been read from chapter two of Philippians? We'll read the first few verses together. It says this, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if, if, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. The first mark of Christ-like humility is Christ-like humility sees. Christ-like humility sees. 
There's a therefore in verse one that marks a a transition in Paul's letter penned in prison. He turns from the problem of persecution from the outside to problems within the church, problems among God's people. Apparently, some believers at Philippi were characterized by vain conceit and selfish ambition. They thought more highly of themselves than they ought to. They neglected the responsibility to serve others. Aren't you grateful that this behavior isn't present in modern believers? (laughs) In the previous chapter, Paul had referenced the Philippians' unity against the opponents of the gospel, and he now picks up the theme of unity mentioned late in the last chapter and contends that Philippians must be unified in mind, love, and soul, and they must humbly place the interest of others above their own attitude and actions and emulate the attitude and action found in the person of Jesus. This may be the scripture's clearest portrait of humility. It's not a weak person's surrender, but a strong person's rejection of selfishness and determination to be actively concerned with the needs and the interests of others. Sometimes humility is defined in a myriad of ways, but when we think about it biblically, we're talking about a a proper evaluation of yourself in the sight of God and others. When Paul says, look in verse four, that comes from a Greek word which means to fix your attention upon something with desire and interest. You know what that's like. He's telling, he's telling them, look at the needs of people with desire and interest. And I'll admit, we're good at doing that for ourselves. But it gets a bit more difficult when it comes to the needs of others. We often look out for the needs of others like a toddler looks for their toothbrush. We don't look very long. We don't look very well. We kind of hope we don't find it. (laughs) There's a skit by the old comedian Groucho Marx in which Groucho is having a conversation with a friend. He goes on and on and on and on about himself and he talks more and more and more about himself and eventually he has this moment of self-awareness that he's talking all about himself and he says, I'm so sorry. Here I am going on and on about myself, enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think about me? (laughs) My son and I recently attended a round at the PGA Championship up in Tulsa and got to see uh, Tiger Woods play golf for the first time and and the crowds following him were just incredible. They were gigantic and it was really a sight to behold. Of course, everyone had out their phones and they were trying to take pictures or or film to see this legendary player, uh, myself included. In fact, there was some press around uh, photos that were taken about how many people weren't really watching but were filming the events happening. And I can understand that. You want to capture that moment with Uh, such an incredible golfer. But what I couldn't understand is when people would take their phone and face it towards them and Tiger walking 40 yards away 
would try to get themselves in the picture and time tiger walking by and take a photo. Now, I get the idea of wanting to see yourself in a more significant manner, not next to someone so important, but what these people got, what Willie Earl from Sepulpa, when he turned that camera around and faced that way, all he got was his own face, but the greatest golfer of all time is a, a fuzzy figure out of focus in the background. What, what a treasured shot. I will say now, Willie Earl from Sepulpa, if you're out there, no offense, it's just an observation, and I'll see you at our next family reunion. <laughs> it is what we do, though. We seem to put ourselves in every picture to make sure we're in for focus. Paul is encouraging believers to focus on others, have the humility that's found in Christ. He saw the needs of others. If you just start in the beginning of the New Testament, you won't go far into Matthew's gospel before you saw that Jesus saw people. First, he sees the need and the faith of a paralyzed man and the friends who brought him to Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Next, Jesus saw Matthew, the tax collector turned disciple, follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Then in the midst of a crowd, a bleeding woman touches Jesus' cloak and she finds herself healed and Jesus turned and he saw her and said, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus sees a crowd of people later who have come to hear him preach the good news and receive healing. The Bible says when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like a sheep without a shepherd. We know that Jesus sees the hurting. He, he sees the needs of the people that he passes by. Do you see them? When we don't see the needs of others, we live in a way where we don't see past ourselves, only looking at our needs and desires and wants and well-being. We may be so enthralled with ourselves, we're not even aware of the needs of others around us. Or it could be we're like those that passed by in the story of the Good Samaritan who chose willful blindness. I'll just ignore the needs that I see. Only seeing ourselves isn't just unchristlike, it's even dangerous, prideful, self-centric vision in life is hazardous to your spiritual health. Did you know that there are places trying to implement no selfie zones? Because they're finding that people taking selfies in da dangerous places has been fatal in many cases. In fact, an India-based researcher found that 259 people worldwide died from accidents that, occur, that occurred while trying to take a selfie in 137 incidents from October 2011 to November 2017. A Spanish man was gored to death when he tried to take a selfie amid the running of the bulls. Two Polish parents taking a selfie stepped off ocean cliffs in Portugal and tumbled to their deaths in front of their children.
And there's many, many more examples. We can get cut off from our surroundings, lose focus and suspend judgment in pursuit of the perfect picture when we put ourselves where we don't belong. The danger for you and I is when we only look on our own interest and not the interest of others, we become the center of our world. Not only do we miss the opportunity to be like Jesus, we miss the opportunity to serve as his hands and feet. Paul is saying Christ-like humility sees the needs of others. I wonder if you would have the boldness, the courage to ask God to give you his eyes for people that we would see like Jesus. Christ-like humility sees, secondly, it serves. Look at verse five with me. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus' emptying functioned as the basis as Paul's appeal. This is a, a classic Christological passage concerning the incarnation. Verses 5 through 11 are possibly a a quotation even from an early hymn in praise of Jesus. Jesus emptied himself and eventually was exalted by the Father. He was equal with the Father in status and glory, but when he became a human being, he gave up his status and glory. Jesus being God made himself nothing Not giving up his deity, but his heavenly glory and privileges. He lived a life of humble obedience. He gave up his lofty heavenly position of glory to condescend to serve sinners. Our focal passage this morning says, have this attitude. Or some versions read, say, have this mind in you. Have this mindset, the mind of Christ. How do we embrace the mind of Christ? How do we emulate the mind of Christ? Take on this attitude we don't just see, we move on to action as we serve. Paul makes it clear he's our model to mimic. It's well supported in scripture that service is paramount. Galatians 5.13 says, in love we're to serve one another. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve, and to live as a Christian is to serve as Christ served. There will always be a myriad of excuses we can make. I'm too busy. I'm too tired, I don't feel up to it. But no matter the season, there is opportunity to serve those around us. It's a matter of humbling ourselves like Jesus humbled himself and taking up the towel of servanthood. Dr. Tom Farrell, an author and evangelist, tells a story from July 26 to August 7th, 1971. He references this time in history, he says, 
The eyes of millions of Americans were on the Apollo 15 moon mission. You may remember the astronauts David R. Scott and James B. Irwin who landed on the moon and spent 18 of their 66 hours there outside the spacecraft. They covered 17 miles of surface in a, a specialized vehicle dubbed the moon buggy. Upon returning to Earth, James Irwin, a professed Christian believer, declared, as I was returning, I realized I'm not a celebrity, I'm a servant. So I'm here as God's servant on Earth to share what I have experienced that others may know the glory of God. Farrell goes on to say, most of us will uh, never, uh, never attain the status of a James B. Irwin, but all of us can have the spirit he possessed, the spirit of a servant. That is the truth that Paul is seeking to convey to the church at Philippi and to you and me today. We are called to not celebrity, but to service. It's the kind of biblical truth we ought to set as a compass as we navigate all aspects of life. Whether it's work or acquaintances, friendships, family, our lives should ask the question, who can I serve? Parents, I wonder, are we teaching this to our children? I was struck by a quote from a Texas football coach, Bob Shipley, a man who coached in high school as well as the highest collegiate level and had two sons who played at a major university and went on and played in the NFL. He said, your children's future boss isn't going to give them a trophy for simply being an employee. They'll be rewarded or let go based on their attitude, work ethic, production, and how well they serve others. The truth is one of the best things we can do for our children is to seek to instill with them a Christ-like attitude and a, and a heart to serve others. And you know what the truth is for both us and our families, despite what culture may convey, God isn't looking for the next star. He's looking for the next servant. I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that today. While we can't do everything, we can do something. I wonder if you would have the boldness, the courage to see like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. Finally, Christ-like humility doesn't just see and serve, it sacrifices. Look at verse eight with me, it says this. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Following Jesus will always be costly. If we want to live like him, we must serve like him, but we also must sacrifice like him. Paul said in Romans 12, he said it this way, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Out of obedience and love, we ought to give of ourselves sacrificially. We give of ourselves to God and ourselves to his service. It's how we fulfill that most core command of loving God and others. Mike Shannon, the professor of preaching at Cincinnati Bible Seminary, told a story about a man featured in the Cincinnati Acquired who donated 80 gallons of blood. According to the report, if 60 people had given every drop of blood in their bodies, it would not have equaled what he had given. 
See, Paul's brother had been wounded in the Korean War, and ever since, now at an older age, he had been giving blood, and if he couldn't give blood because his blood work didn't look right, because of low iron, he would go home, eat steak and spinach, and he would come back. He had no plans to stop. Why does man go to such great lengths to give of himself sacrificially? Because it became personal to him. It involved his family. And when we begin to understand how personal the sacrifice of Jesus is to us, then we're motivated to then also give of our lives. Paul's saying, live like Jesus. Put this humility into practice. I wonder this morning if you would have that kind of boldness. The courage to see like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, and sacrifice like Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Brad, I know this. I've heard this before. I understand it. And yet it's so difficult for us. Can I tell you, you won't experience life as God intended it until you do. Jesus was brought low and then he was lifted up on a cross, brought low into a tomb, but then ascended to glory. And now every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Have you confessed him as Lord? We will all stand before him in judgment and we will all kneel in subjection to him. And anchored deep in the heart of every believer is to hear, well done. When we come to that place and we stand before the Lord and he looks at our life. But you know what? He won't say, well done, social media influencer. He won't say, well done, great athlete. He won't say, well done, one who accumulated the most wealth. He won't say, well done, the one that did it their way. If we stand before the Lord and hear, well done, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. See what I'm asking you today. Are you living a life worthy of hearing? Well done. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all you do for us. God, when we consider that you condescended to us, that you emptied yourself and emptied yourself of your heavenly glory to be a lowly servant and to die on our behalf, we are overwhelmed with gratitude. God, you call us to a life that is unique, that is different, that goes against the grain of culture and even our own natural bend and desire to be served. But God, if we want to be salt and light in this world, if we want to truly make a difference, it will only be because we were like you. Lord, it's our heart's desire. God, will you help us to have your humility? God, will you help us to have that kind of love? God, that would see the needs of people and 
and serve and give sacrificially. God, may our lives be lives that shine a light on who you are and give you glory. And God, may may we one day hear well done. We ask and we pray these things and we thank you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.